a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Michael Wong. Coming up on the program. Food in focus as the first China International Supply Chain Expo gets underway here in Beijing. We take a bite of agricultural cooperation and the food supply chain. A legend passes away. Billionaire investor Charlie Munger, the longtime friend and business partner of Warren Buffett, has died at 99 years old. And sounding the alarm with the annual UN Climate Summit set to begin in Dubai, a latest report is warning of soaring global temperatures and unprecedented levels of greenhouse emissions. The first China International Supply Chain Expo is underway right here in Beijing. The expo, which runs through Saturday, aims to provide a platform for companies to engage in trade promotion, investment cooperation, and learning. The exhibitions cover a wide range of areas, including smart cars, green agriculture, clean energy, and digital technology. For more on the event, my colleague Zhu Zhu joins us now from CGTN Studio on site at the Supply Chain Expo. here on site at the very first China International Supply Chain Expo, or CISCE, ongoing right here in Beijing. Today is the second day of the event. The expo has brought together hundreds of political and business leaders from around the world to strengthen cooperation and safeguard the stability of global industrial and supply chains. Global leaders said, as international trade has secured under pressure due to supply chain disruptions caused by COVID and the rising geopolitical tensions, the CISCE offers a great platform for boosting trade and economic recovery. Today's theme is promoting green development for a shared agricultural future. Let's delve into those participants um, to hear what they said about the agricultural sector green development. And uh, for more, uh, let's join in our Aaron Liu. Um, he is now currently in the, um, in the green um, agriculture sector uh, at the Expo. This section has brought about China's top agricultural companies and research institutions, where, uh, where they are presenting their finest culinary delights and groundbreaking technologies. Hi, Aaron. Could you share with us more insights into the uh, green agriculture sector? Sure, Juju. In the green agriculture chain area, there are over 60 companies from all over the world showing their top-notch technologies that cover everything from the farm to your table. And of course, there's the whole bunch of the products and agricultural products on display from the grains and the cooking oil to fruits and why the secret to these high quality products lies in the original seeds so take for example the water saving seeds we can see here is the drought resistant uh, rice and also it can be grown with water saving technologies in paddy fields just also be grown in the dry lands like wheat and also research shows that they can save about 50 uh, percent of the water, 30% of fertilizer, and to reduce carbon emissions by the whopping 90%. The agriculture value chain is a new business model that supply agriculture goods and services to growth and did in exchange for key agricultural products from the global producers, uh, all while meeting the demand in the Chinese market. This helps connect the global supply chain efficiently and creates a complete business cycle. 
It not only stabilizes and diversifies China's imported grain sources, but also gives the company a competitive edge. We can see these areas that show that this chain has already connected to more than 10 countries, includes the Americans in Europe and Asia, and bringing a great variety of crops to our tables and benefiting both growers and consumers through agricultural value chain cooperation. In the context of the grain transformation of agriculture, many supply chain companies are also focusing on solving the challenge of transporting global agricultural products from the fields to the consumer market in the low carbon and environmentally friendly way. Next, it is the very important is the digital economy that take extra care of the crops during their growth period. Digital platforms can provide a real-time remote uh, monitoring of the fields and low-carbon wheat planting methods, such as the, uh, this showing can see nearly half the water, 30% to 50% of fertilizer. Digital technology allows consumers to easier understand the plant, and I can see that in these areas is the coat and production process of the food in their hands with just the scan and a green agriculture supply chain companies from around the world are joining the forces to use a variety of new technologies to change traditional agriculture production and sales models. Back to you, Tutu. Thank you, Aaron, for your sharing. I can't wait to check out those food exhibition area by myself and stay tuned to uh, look forward to see your updates in the coming days. Um, coming next, Brazil is the biggest exporter of soybeans in the um, agricultural sector, and uh, in a large part due to Chinese counterparts. And this activity is essential for the country's um, for the country's economy. While while that one, um, let's connect with our Aaron, um, uh, who Brazil is the ex, uh, biggest exporter of soybeans in the world, and in large part due to Chinese purchases. And this activity is very essential for the country's economy. While soy is clearly a successful arena for a Brazilian trade, making this business more sustainable remains a challenge. Our correspondent in Brazil, uh, Paulo Gabriel, has this report. Take a listen. Agricultural commodities form the backbone of Brazil's foreign trade, accounting for almost half of Brazil's total exports last year. And soybeans and their related products made up almost 40% of Brazil's agricultural sales. The significance of the soy complex for Brazil's economy is clear. However, there are mounting concerns over the sustainability of soy production and its role in the deforestation of the Amazon. China, by far the largest world purchaser of Brazilian soy, has bought almost 70% of the soy exported by Brazil this year. As a result, China and Chinese companies' participation in soy sustainability initiatives is viewed as crucial for their effectiveness. One key initiative is the Amazon Soy Moratorium, which urges companies not to buy the product from areas illegally deforested in the Amazon after 2008. Kofco, a Chinese food giant, and leading trader importing soy from Brazil is among the firms which have committed to tracing all the soy they purchase to avoid buying the product from illegal areas. In its 2022 sustainability report, the company projected it will achieve about 75% of this goal by the end of this year. However, environmental groups are calling on the company for more transparency regarding their practices. They point, for example, that the commitment does not comprehensively address 
indirect purchases which could come from illegal areas. Since its inception in 2006, the Amazon Soy Moratorium seems to have had positive results in reducing deforestation in the Amazon. However, there are growing calls on the government to take action to prevent the clearing of new areas for soy production, not only in the Amazon, but also in other Brazilian ecosystems where devastation continues. Paulo Cabral, CGTN, in São Paulo's countryside, Brazil. For more discussions on green agriculture, let's bring in our David Dai. David Dai, thank you so much for joining us. He's the chairman of Green FEMSAM. We know that FEMSAM has been a dominant position in many aspects in the farming supply chain. Could you share with us some key factors that have contributed to its success in stabilizing the supply chain? Okay, thank you. Beijing Farmsong is an agriculture uh, solution company. We, our project is all covered more than 140 countries. And uh, our business uh, mainly including sale project, rice milling, flour milling, feed milling, and including breeding project, also food project. Beijing Farmsong company, we have our value. We should do green agriculture chain and the value chain and uh, uh, help globe food safety and uh, grain safety. Thank you. Yeah, you mentioned about food safety. Uh, we know that um, Samsung has been very uh, successful player in this area and about 50% of its business are from those overseas markets. Yes. Uh, how do Samsung um, um, stabilize its global supply chain amid all of these uncertainties in the international market? Okay. Uh, because our R&D center is all of the countries. Uh, we have U.S., uh, we have R&D center, and Denmark, and Germany, and uh, Egypt. And uh, another is our manufacturer also is global. We have manufacturer base in Egypt, in Kazakhstan, and Brazil, etc. Also, our service is all of the globe. We have offices in more than 40 countries, offices. So this is our advantage. Thank you. Yeah, we are looking forward to see more international cooperation between China and also other countries in the agricultural sector. Um, thank you very much for your very insightful sharing. And thank you. Get back to you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. All right, many thanks for that, Juju. Uh, but one of the key highlights of the expo revolves around agricultural cooperation. My colleague Lily Liu spoke to Zheng Xiaoping, the regional director at the Greater China U.S. Soybean Export Council, on the measures taken by China and the U.S. to ensure a robust and top-notch food supply chain. Take a look. I think uh, high quality means, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, innovation driven and more, uh, you know, uh, on the uh, uh, sustainability. Uh, more sustainable uh, supply chain, mm -hmm. and also uh, high quality and also high efficiency of the whole economy, and especially for the agriculture uh, products and the agriculture industry as well. So uh, with this uh, goal to, uh, uh, you know, uh, pursue this high quality development, I think that presents great potentials of uh, uh, collaborations between uh, two industries, U.S. and China. So this strong relations actually serves as uh, the balance 
for the relations, economic and trade, and also the overall relations between these two countries. So uh, uh, with the uh, great support from uh, governments, both governments, on agriculture, agricultural products, and uh, the uh, collaborations. What kind of support do you think is needed to progress? Farmers have said that the land is the host, we're just the passengers, mm -hmm. the guests. And also they borrow the land from their you know, generations to come, from their child, child or children or generations to come. So with that in mind, they preserve uh, their land with a lot of uh, farming practices that we call it climate smart. So with that, uh, you know, uh, we have a lot to tell, we have a lot to share. I mean, U.S. farmers with Chinese uh, farmers. Yes. You know, so we would like to uh, uh, have, uh, would like to see a farmer-to-farmer -farmer exchange program that both farmers, uh, industries, mm -hmm. can share uh, how they do a better job to, uh, uh, you know, uh, help uh, uh, produce uh, more products with less inputs that will make the agriculture, soybean production more sustainable mm -hmm. to uh, supply the need from uh, the growing uh, population in the world and also uh, to supply uh, the uh, high quality uh, products. In the United States, um, U.S. President Joe Biden has just announced new actions to strengthen America's supply chains. So what do you think the two largest economies in the world can do in, in adopting a collaborative attitude in uh, stabilizing the global supply chains? Uh, yeah, this is a uh, very good news for the uh, whole industry uh, to stabilize the supply chain in the U.S. as well as globally. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, China, U.S. is uh, number one, number two economies, and also in terms of soybeans, U.S. is number two uh, soybean producers in the world, and China is the number one soybean consumers in the world. So stronger relations and collaborations between these two industries will demonstrate uh, can be a best example for the global soy industry for more sustainable supply chain. Now, as the world's largest food importer, China's position in the global supply chain for agriculture is essential. We spoke to Robert Espel, who is the president of Cargill Asia Pacific, to hear what he has to say. Take a listen. China's position is critical, it's very important. China's the largest uh, food importer in the world. Uh, so de facto in global supply chain for agriculture, its position is critical. So and I'm encouraged by what we see here, uh, the signals we're getting. I'm very encouraged. I was just in a, in a forum now about uh, green agriculture, green development for agriculture. I think those are all great signs and uh, we need those kinds of signals to continue to, uh, as an industry, to continue to invest in decarbonization of supply chains. So I think the message is clear. And now, uh, you know, the, the community at large, corporations, government, customers, consumers, let's all work together to make sure we, uh, we make our, our global supply chains on food uh, greener for a, a better future. And speaking of the food supply chain, our reporter Liu Jiaxin takes us through the entire process of food from farm to table at CP Group, the first foreign-funded company that entered the Chinese mainland. 
How many steps does food take from farm to table? First of all, you have to have good seeds. As the first foreign-funded enterprise to enter Chinese mainland after the reform and opening up, the CP Group has over 10 core breeding stations here in China. For example, the excellent corn varieties bred not only help farmers to increase production, but can also provide sufficient feed ingredients. Once you have good seeds, you have to have good land for planting. In 11 provinces in China, there are nearly 20 agricultural parks and production as well as planting bases for the CP group. Well, this picture showcases how the land looks like in China's Hubei province. Different livestock are fed with feeds tailored to their nutritional needs, counting for various uh, growth stages. And these measures ensure that chickens, ducks, pigs, and sheep um, that enter our kitchens are happy and healthy during their growth stages. Finally, we arrive at the supermarket. Eggs, fresh and processed meat, as well as dumplings and other farm-to-table foods that our customers can find from their food baskets represent the very end of this chain. 90% of CP Group's raw materials are sourced locally from China, and the remaining 10% rely on imports. Our group has always believed that the world needs a good supply chain. And even though our group has a certain reputation in the agriculture and animal husbandry industry, there are still many leading companies in this sector that have their own unique qualities. So we also need to learn from them and learn through normal business exchanges. If you're wondering what steps are needed to serve them on the table, simply heat the oil in the pan. With a few straightforward kitchen operations, you'll have a dish ready in no time. Liu Zanxin, CGTN, Beijing. Well, billionaire investor Charlie Munger, the longtime friend and business partner of Warren Buffett, has passed away at the age of 99. Berkshire Hathaway, the investment firm where Munger served as vice chairman, saying in a press release that Mr. Munger passed away peacefully on Tuesday morning at a California hospital. No cause of death was given. And with Warren Buffett, Munger built Berkshire Hathaway into a multi-billion dollar behemoth. Over the years, Berkshire Hathaway has made large investments in dozens of household names, including Kraft Heinz, Bank of America, and Coca-Cola. Its portfolio has included car companies, grocery stores, as well as insurers. The latest emissions gap report by the UN Environment Program has found that global temperatures are soaring and greenhouse gas emissions are reaching unprecedented levels. Experts are warning that the world could be heading for a 2.9 degrees Celsius temperature rise above pre-industrial levels unless countries step up on climate action. Now, while the UN Climate Conference tries to address these issues, the annual meeting has so far exposed how divided the world actually is. Our Adele Amarui has more from Cairo. The Earth is 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer than it was before the Industrial Revolution. That was manifested in some of the hottest temperatures on record around the globe this summer. If there is not a change in attitude towards our carbon emissions, then, according to research, the planet is on track to reach 2.9 degrees within 12 years. Experts say this means more and bigger episodes of extreme weather. Fossil fuels are the biggest problem facing our planet. 
There is hope for green technologies that are creating electric cars and renewable energy. It's unlikely, but still, we might be able to let go of oil by 2035. The question is, will the earth in 2035 remain as it is today, or will the planet face bigger disasters? I don't think we are able to remain at 1.5 degrees. Most probably, the next generations will pay for that. As the UN's Climate Conference of Parties, COP28, is about to begin in Dubai, the debate on how to engage with GHG, or greenhouse gas emissions, is back in the spotlight. A UN report says that emissions must be reduced by up to 42% to just maintain the current 1.5 degrees Celsius. Rising temperatures are directly affected by GHG emissions, but the world is still divided on whether to focus efforts on mitigation or adaptation. Some analysts believe there needs to be a more targeted approach for places like Africa. Africa only covers 4% of the total GEG emissions of the whole world. So uh, it doesn't make any sense to mitigate uh, or do mitigation uh, uh, efforts in Africa, even though sustainable development should be uh, adopted in the future development. Also, uh, adaptation mechanisms uh, and loss and damage uh, are the main targets for uh, the African agenda, which going to uh, be uh, the efforts done by the uh, developing countries. Developing countries are facing many obstacles to apply adaptation and mitigation plans, the top of which is funding from developed countries. Until now, green technologies, copyrights and know-how is owned by developed countries. We need a transfer of technology. Finally, we need to activate the loss and damage fund which Egypt's COP27 agreed on. Developing countries are reported to be struggling the most in the face of this global warming crisis. And yet, many are also just managing to keep their economies afloat and can barely meet their developmental goals and basic needs. Now, there's an expectation to shift to expensive green technologies. The world is suffering from major fluctuations in oil prices. With a power crisis in place, seeking other sources of energy is a given, but very few countries can afford that. And until the world agrees on a way to move forward, it seems that the planet and everyone on it will pay the price long into the future. Adel Mahrawi, CGTN, Cairo. And speaking ahead of the COP28 climate talks, the head of the International Monetary Fund, Kristalina Gorgieva, has said that current efforts are not enough to achieve the UN's climate goals. Take a listen. Between 2019 and 2030, we have to shrink emissions somewhere between 25 and 50 percent, whereas all the commitments would give us a meager 11 percent. So that is, to my mind, the number one priority for this COP is to recognize that business as usual has to be dropped. We need to look at the ability of countries to deal with climate shocks and mitigate, adapt to the new climate economy while they are severely affected by uh, the debt accumulation that became particularly problematic as a result of the consecutive shocks, COVID war, uh, cost of living crisis. Well, this year's UN COP28 Climate Change Summit in Dubai will bring together representatives from almost 200 countries to evaluate what's called the global stock take and assess the progress made towards the goals set in the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement. Our Sushin Bo has more.
According to the Global Stock Take report released by the United Nations, it is evident that the world is falling short of its commitment to combat global warming. The Global Stock Take, which is conducted every five years, is a crucial part of the Paris Agreement. In 2015, more than 200 countries agreed in Paris to limit the increase in global temperatures to two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, with a target of 1.5 degrees Celsius to prevent more severe consequences. As per the agreement, countries were urged to assess their progress in 2023 and repeat this evolution every five years. The report, which incorporates inputs from experts, governments, and campaigners, will form the basis of discussions at the UN COP28 summit. The report warns that countries are already aware that their current commitments are insufficient to meet the set targets. Additionally, the investment and planning for climate adaptation are inadequate, posing significant risks due to the world already being 1.2 degrees Celsius warmer than pre-industrial times. This warming trend increases the likelihood of deadly heat waves, wildfires, and devastating droughts and floods worldwide. Some countries, like China, have already taken action. Recently, the Chinese government announced a plan to control methane emissions, contributing to efforts to limit global temperature rise. China has also been actively promoting international cooperation and dialogue to address climate change. Su Xinbo, CGTN, Beijing. In turning now to the beautiful city of Huangshan, located in China's Anhui province. In recent years, Huangshan has been working hard to improve its environmental protection measures to attract more tourists. Today, we're going to take a look at the impact of these environmental advances on tourism consumption, focusing on the Xin'an River, located in the region. Our Olivia He is there. The 359-kilometer Xin'an River starts at the foot of the Yellow Mountains in Anhui Province and extends eastwards to the west of Zhejiang Province. In 2011, a cross-provincial ecological preservation scheme was put in place. Anhui, which lies upstream, heavily invested into measures to improve the water quality of the Xin'an River's apparatus and the surrounding environment. Eight years on, the water quality of Shijian County section of Xin'an River has been improved to Grade Two, the second highest level in China's five-tier water quality system. This means it can be used as a drinking water source. A good environment also helps boost tourism development. This year, the number of tourists coming to visit the river hit 300,000. The healthier environment on one end drives tourism consumption. On the other end, it benefits the local community living along the river. For instance, fishermen who used to make a living by fishing have now turned their businesses into tourism-related activities, such as selling local products, operating Airbnb accommodations, and running coffee shops. Ever since more tourists started coming, those forgotten villages are turning into a hotspot for travelers. And the great thing is, they are really promoting the local culture and tradition of Anhui Province, as well as creating more job opportunities for local people. Olivia He, CGTN, Huangshan City in Anhui Province. A beautiful place to visit, indeed. And with that, we're going to wrap up this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time.